You're listening to The Esoterics Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is your Elise. And Joe is here, too. Thank you for joining us this week on the Esoterics Podcast. Hey, Joe. Hi. How are you? I'm doing good, but I learned how to de-skunk a dog this weekend. Uh-oh. Who got skunked? Both of them, technically. Oh. Yeah. Whose who's fault was it? It was Honey's fault, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, I knew it. See? She's troublesome. Cute, but troublesome. Yep. Yep. <laughs> She probably went after that skunk. Like, get out of my place, skunk. Dude, they cornered it. What did they expect? Like. (laughs) Those little dogs. Yeah. So. Everybody's always mad about the pit bull, but those little dogs will fuck you up. And Dude, they didn't even get it. All they did was corner it. No. And then we're out there yelling at them. It's like 2.30 in the morning. (gasps) <gasps> out there yelling at them to come back in the house and they come in and then uh yeah it was a mess and then we're oh no so we had to google is it okay to put tea tree oil on my dog and mike's the one looking it up and he's like it's highly poisonous and i'm like i'm not i'm not feeding it to them i'm just putting it on them because i can't wash them oh no did you get the smell out yeah i did i did i found a diy home de-skunking recipe and it's not tomato sauce did it work well it worked yeah it worked fine yeah it's yeah. just uh hydrogen peroxide baking soda and a little bit of dish soap really um, yeah um so it worked i went to italy um in i think it was like 2016 and my, the, the people that were watching hollis they're like uh oopsie and so they got most of it off but when i picked him up he still smelled skunk ish and i was like oh but you know because he decided that skunk was in their backyard and it didn't belong there so (laughs) get out of here black and white cat that's not a cat (laughs) oh no what's going on with you though anything notable happened this weekend no this weekend was very um very quiet like i did readings on saturday and then yesterday i had plans right you have plans on sunday to do all the things and i didn't end up doing shit like not a damn thing i did a little bit of studying for um my astrology class that's coming out but other than that no um not so much i this weekend though i'm actually going to seattle that's the the football game to see, oh, yeah. watch my spartans so um you know i i figured i could just stay home and you know this weekend and not go out and do crazy things yeah, also in the midst of retrograde how's the pisces new moon thing treating you listen i have to be honest i it's been awesome for me like i have had some really deep amazing insights. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really helpful. One of the insights that I had, um, was that, um, you know, throughout my healing process, you know, being, um, a child of trauma, um, you know, and then emotional neglect and all of those things, yeah. um, as an adult, you have to learn, you know, brand new coping mechanisms and skills. And so one of the things that I realized about myself is that in the past, I would always feel shamed for, um, a certain aspect of my life, like mm-hmm. maybe my reactions or my feelings around certain things or my actions or whatever. There was this element of shame and guilt. Yeah. And um, that was always something where I'm like, well, I can't do this, you know, because that's really shameful mm-hmm. and nobody can find out or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I've actually worked through all of that. And I'm sitting there going, what elements of my life am I ashamed of? Am I struggling with? Am I challenged mm-hmm. by? And I'm like, you know, it, and I don't know if that comes with age, maturity, or just inner peace, or doing the work. I it's or all of them, but yeah. So I have really appreciated the phase of this moon because it has given me, I think, like that final piece. Yeah, you know that final piece of the puzzle where it's like you're you're healed. Mm-hmm. You still have more healing to do. Healing will come, you know, as events come up. But for the most part, you've done the work, girl. Fucking congrats. So yeah, it was a good awesome. piece for me. Yeah. That's awesome. 
Oh, that feels good. What about you? How's this? How's this treating you? I've just had some weird dreams, and that's usually how the moons affect me. Is in my dreams, and I had this dream that I had to go back to school, and I was getting switched out of classes, but I didn't know where to go, so I was just lost, and it was confusing. And you know, you can translate it into whatever's going on in your waking life. There's always like this exaggeration that happens with dreams into what's actually happening in your life but that's it it's nothing crazy other than that no yeah 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 thank you moon for your help sometimes it's not very helpful but in this one particularly i know I think, some people are having a hard time with it yeah cancers pisces um the water signs am i got that right the water signs. yeah yeah those are those yeah. two are water signs yes and yeah. scorpio is also a water sign too. scorpio yeah they're struggling uh-huh. with it probably mm-hmm. have big deep things coming up to the surface for looking at and stuff you know. oh that that makes sense yeah that makes sense mike is a lot of has a lot of cancer placements um i don't have a lot of water placements i know i, I don't either like one. i don't either yeah. nope I, same same you know and i love water and i know that doesn't have one to do with the other but um yeah, I pulled, I looked at everything. I have four, mm-hmm. four air, two fire, and then like oh. one or none water. No, I think <laughs> I have one water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then earth too. Of course, I have a couple earths. So. What would you say for people who are going through a hard time with it? What would you recommend? I mean, it's such an individual thing because the moon phases exist for different things for different people based on the sign and the planets and the placements and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so individual. I guess I would just sort of sit with, you know, the re of this retrograde, but then also full moons are about release. So I would look at what keeps coming up from the past Mm -hmm. and then what needs to be released. And then from there, you know, do the work around it or, you know, ask spirit for help letting Uh it go, releasing it, that sort of thing. Yep. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's this sort of common thought that you can't start anything new in, um, you know, a retrograde. And and that's true um, to a certain degree, but you can use the energy to set the stage and create strong foundations for when that energy subsides after the shadow period where you can actually go full force ahead. So... Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh, I have something to tell you. Oh, okay. So this is connected to what we talked about a couple weeks ago when I did the Pachita episode. It's a little related to today, but not so much. So I've always had this thought when people talk about, or when we learned about Aztec history, um, and they talk about human sacrifice. Yeah. And we learned that they built these pyramids and then on top of these pyramids, they performed these human sacrifices. And this is the way that the blood would pour out and all this stuff. It never sat right with me. I always felt like there was something more. It just didn't feel right. Okay. So in the work that Pachita did, because she was channeling Guatemoc. Mm-hmm. So Cuauhtémoc talked to whoever he was speaking to. So in this case, it happens to be Jacobo Greenberg. It's written in his book. When he's in conversation with him, Cuauhtémoc, again, for anyone who didn't listen to the Pachita episode, he was the last emperor, emperor, the last Tatuani of the Mexicas, of the Aztecs. He said that that is not true. The Aztecs did not do human nice. sacrifice. What they were actually doing was psychic surgery. Oh, you're kidding me. Oof. Both of my legs are tingling yeah. for that one. So if you go look, just Google Aztec human sacrifice, you'll find the drawings or sculptures that depict what's supposed to be human sacrifice. But take a look at those with that in mind with the idea of they were performing a surgery and all of a sudden yeah like you, it makes you, sense it makes sense and yes also human sacrifice could make sense you can also come to that conclusion from looking at those sure sure 
And the thing that he says too, and we know this, is the fact that history is written by the victor. Mm-hmm. And we don't get to hear both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. The other thing, and I think this is most important, is that depicting the Aztecs this way by the Spaniards was done on purpose to make them look like savages. And in doing that, it allows them to, you know, do everything that they did to them. Yep. Yeah. It's colonization. Again, it's colonization. And, yeah. you know, it's it's happening right now in the schools where, you know, um, these edu- a lot of these education programs want to rewrite or whitewash history. Yes. Because then they don't need to address what needs to change, yeah. what happened, that sort of thing. Yeah. And there's getting a lot of pushback on it. Yeah. So it makes sense that it's moving into the yeah. spiritual realm as well. Yeah, and even the codices, because the codices ended up being written by friars, because all of the true history, all of the actual books from these Aztec and Mayan civilizations were burnt or destroyed or otherwise gotten rid of. And so then they, quote unquote, took it upon themselves to try to preserve their history, which is like, it's not your fucking history to preserve in the first place. But of course, there's going to be human bias in it. It's not going to be accurate. And Mm -hmm. I know it's, I feel like it's common for us to say, well, this is what scholars say and this is what we're taught in school, but it's so important to question that right. and say, like, right. who wrote this and what was the mm-hmm. intention behind it? Yep. What were they yep. trying to achieve? Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. It's like with the oracles of Delphi, right? All of these scholars say it couldn't possibly be, you know, um, the fact that they were being, a, you know, influenced by these gases. It had to be, you know, psychosis. And it's like, you don't fucking know. How do you know? You don't know for sure. No. I mean, listen, I'm going to question a scholar. Anybody that calls themselves a scholar, I'm going to question. Right? We're allowed to. <laughs> That's- I'm, I'm allowed to. That's right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Good. There's some clarification, y'all. Yep. Pachita. Still yes. love saying her name. Pachita. Sweet. Uh, okay. So what are we talking about so this week? So this week we are talking about Jacobo Grinberg Silverbaum. Yay. So he's the scientist who actually worked with Pachita, and he's the reason why we have a whole book written about her. Okay. Jacobo. Yeah. He's an amazing story in himself. Um, He was just this amazing person, incredibly intelligent. He wrote 55 books by the time he disappeared at the age of 46. But that's another story, which we'll get to. (sighs) Here we go. Here we go. All right. So Jacobo was born in Mexico City. He was born December 12, 1946. That's 1212. Um, his, oh, there you go. Mystical. That's a good. Yeah, it's a good number. Mm-hmm. So his grandparents were actually Polish Jews who immigrated to Mexico in 1929 when his father was only seven years old. Uh, you know, they were seeing the writing on the wall situation going on in Europe at the time, and they immigrated to Mexico. And so Jacobo himself was a Mexican national. He was born in Mexico. Okay, I have a question, though. Yes. Grinberg Zylerbaum. That doesn't sound Mexican. No. So, I mean, his family was Polish. And so they changed their name to Grinberg. I don't remember what their actual Polish last name was. But, yeah, they changed their name. But they were Polish. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so there's that's what he wasn't. Jacobo was not is not indigenous, right? No, no. Okay, he was just no. born in Mexico. Yes, he was born okay. in Mexico. All right, yeah. good. That's uh, that's just what I want to clear up. I'm like, wait, yes. that doesn't that doesn't track? No, no, the name is not. No, <laughs> he was the oldest of six brothers, and Jacobo's mother passed away from a brain tumor when he was only 14 years oh. old. Unfortunately, this tragedy is also what sparked his interest in the study of the brain. He studied uh, Mexican shamanism, Eastern disciplines, meditation, astrology, and telepathy. But everything that he studied, he did it through the lens of the scientific method. And he would go on to write more than 50 books about all of these subjects. And this is really what sets him apart from anyone that I've ever studied or learned about because usually you get these people who it's one or the other, like a very scientific approach like Carl Jung, or you get into like more woo, um, more shamanic, and you get into things that can't be scientifically proven or otherwise explained. 
But that's really what sets him apart is because he took the scientific method to explain the womb. Yes. Okay. In 1970, he went to New York City to study psychophysiology at the Brain Research Institute. He earned a PhD at the E. Roy John Laboratory, and his PhD focused on the electrophysiological effects of the geometric stimuli on the human brain, which I thought was interesting because we talk about sacred geometry. Mm-hmm. And he was also the founder of the National Institute for the Study of Consciousness at UNAM in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, his work came under a lot of scrutiny because with other scientists, yeah, sure. they were like, no, right. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So his reputation as a scientist did, you know, fall into some dangerous territory because of the shamanism studies. Um, he, he combined them into his professional world, world, always trying to understand like the magic world. He attempted to change the way that the relationship between science and consciousness is understood. That was really, like, that was his goal. The main way that his fellow scientists rejected his work, though, was that they called it psi assumption, which I never heard of that. But it's the assumption that any statistical deviation from chance is basically not true. Like, just saying that um, it's almost like... Um, Unless it's 100% provable, it's it's not. Yeah, that and yeah. That, that that's the argument behind it. No, that sounds like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. We're not, you know what I mean? That that sort of nonsense. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So this is where I think is the most interesting part of his work. He did conducted a lot of experiments, and one of them was having two people meditate in a room together for twenty minutes. And I think it's interesting. It's a very cool coincidence that 20 minutes is also what they use in the transcendental meditation technique. Yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. So after they did that, they would set the intention that they were going to send messages telepathically to each other. Yeah. And in this particular experiment, both people were then separated into two different rooms, both of which were shielded from all electromagnetic energies. I'm not sure how they did that. Um, But then Mm. after that, one person was presented with random flashes of light designed to elicit shock responses. And then the other person sitting in a different room was hooked up to an EEG machine. And then this subject's EEG reading showed a similar shock response, perfectly timed with the other individual's light flashes. And this happened 25% of the time. And then in a control group, on the other hand, it showed no such correlation. Um, and then yep. many interesting variations of the study have right. been conducted, all with equally interesting results. And there have been other scientists in more recent times who have continued these studies in some kind of similar variation. And that was one of his studies. But my favorite of his experiments is the one where he taught children extrasensory perception exercises. He would start with teaching them concentration exercises, meditation, and essentially teaching them astral travel. Cool. And he started by leading them through a meditation where they would close their eyes and then they would imagine like leaving their seats, leaving their classroom, leaving their school, leaving their city, and then just up and up and up. And the children responded really Mm -hmm. well to this, Um, so much so that it became a problem because they actually started Mm -hmm. to develop other psychic abilities. Of course. Yeah, they started to see, you know, other things that they could not explain. It probably developed, like, psychic Mm -hmm. visions, um, but it kind of freaked Mm -hmm. out some parents. And because of that, the experiment had to be shut down. Ugh. Ugh, but if we were taught this shit in school oh my God, and imagine. it was standard, I mean, fucking imagine. It's insane. One of the uh, meditations that I do, it's called the consciousness expansion meditation. And it does uh-huh. exactly that. It yeah. ground in your body, you sit in your body, and then slowly through visualization and intention, you visualize yourself expanding out, 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 out into finally space. But mm-hmm. then you start moving into like the fifth dimension, the sixth dimension, the seventh dimension. And people, that is everyone's favorite 
meditation. And by the end of that, people are like, it was like I was on fucking drugs. Um, <laughs> it's serious. And I channeled yeah. all of that from spirit. Wow. Like when I first started learning how to channel. So I know, and I recorded it actually. It, just a little plug here. You can actually uh -huh. buy it from my website, oh. download it, joefigueres.com. Awesome. Um, but I recorded that and I will listen to that myself. Yeah. And it's just, it is, it's like you're, you're like on drugs by the 12th dimension. Wow. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he said that his mistake with the experiment was not preparing the parents. Yeah. But also, I don't think he knew what to expect himself. So how could he have prepared I them? Right. Yeah. So mistake, uh, you know, maybe just a, you know, not, not thoroughly thinking through. I have no yeah. yeah. Not, not anticipating that parents would get all freaked out. I exactly. So he wrote several volumes of books dedicated to just Mexican shamanism. And so he would highlight different shamans that he went to go visit or work with. Um, some of them would turn out to be just sham like you know they're mm -hmm. full of shit um but one of them was maria sabina so yeah. we, and we've talked about maria sabina before what i thought was really cool that because this is again um remember when we talked about maria sabina and we talked about how some people claim that like oh she didn't charge right right his book talks about the discussion that there was about how much it was going to cost so, like, mm -hmm. for anyone who tries to say that she did not charge for her work, no, absolutely mm -hmm. she did. And it's there. It, it's, it's solid evidence. So what happened is he went to Huatla de Jimenez with a friend. And as soon as they got there, they were approached by a young boy who came and told them, he's like, my grandmother wants to see you. And then he, they followed him and they took them to Maria Sabina's house. They didn't know who his grandmother was, sure. but that's that where they ended up. And so she held uh, a, a mushroom ceremony for them and for the a long time he did not understand what the fuck had happened like is <laughs> <laughs> one often struggles after mushrooms right so he <laughs> what he saw during his journey was he saw visions of a city and he kept looking for his home and then once he'd find it then he was trying to find his favorite chair and then just as he was finding it and he would felt like he was like ready to get comfortable Maria would start to sing, um, sing one of her songs, her prayers. And then, and it, that same cycle repeated over seven times. And so it was like insufferable. It was like, he could not get comfortable and he just could not like, he could not, you know, find comfort in himself and in the place he was sitting and he had to walk outside. He had to go outside. And for a long time, he was like, I don't know what that was. Like, I don't right. know. But it took him, um, he would visit India a few years later. And that's actually when he would completely actually integrate the, the journey, the mushroom journey. What it was is that he came to understand that it was meant to teach him about his preference for comfort over new lessons and security over growth. Wow. So that's it was profound. just. So yeah, I was just teaching him about himself and who he was and maybe to look at that from a different perspective of like, you know, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, are you ever going to learn new things? Ah, that's deep, deep and profound. Yeah. Some mushrooms do. It just, mm -hmm. it just takes a minute. Sometimes you, you know, it's hard without the integration. <laughs> yeah. So one of the other curanderas that he worked with was Pachita. And so, as you know, we talked about her, you know, a few episodes ago. Um, yeah. He spent a few months with her, but there was something that I missed when we talked about her last time. So, do you remember how I told you he was introduced to her through the president's sister? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, I just wanted to, like, I don't know, drop this in there. Mexican presidents, not just him, um, that was um, Portillo, uh, historically... Mexican presidents have all had like their shamans or their curanderos that they work yeah. with. And it's just funny like that, mm -hmm. that it's like, that's part of our culture, like yes. and up to the freaking presidential level where right. some of them, like they have, they have like, I think it was, uh, with billionaires, right? Like supposedly like billionaires use a lot of astrologers. Like, it, yeah. It's a known thing. Um, but yeah, because they'll, they'll help you like warn you against things that are coming, maybe an attack from a, from an enemy or something you have to look out for a trip you maybe shouldn't take or just added extra protection from yeah. you know especially when you're in the limelight like that it's important anyway yeah. 
many wealthy people have psychic, you know, advisors, but you know, even the white house has the, you know, the white house physician. So you know what I mean? It's not the same, but um, (laughs) I would really dig it if Biden had a, um, a a white house psychic, which I know. I think he's he's hip enough for that. I know. I think I feel like he'd make jokes about it though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But his experience with Pachita though would massively influence his scientific thinking because what he not just saw, like he physically experienced by working with her, the whole saturating of the wounds, like the seeing the, the things, you know, manifest out of, out of quote unquote thin air. So he needed to like explain, like find a way to explain this like thin air concept. Cause he's like, it's not just out of nothing. Um, so that's where he came to believe that about the neuronal field, um, which he called an informational ma- matrix. So it's a pretty complicated concept that even his students have trouble explaining. But essentially, he believed that experience and perception were created as a result of this interaction and that the curative powers of shamans and curanderos like Pachita came from their ability to gain access to the informational matrix and change it, thereby affecting reality. I mean, yeah, it's again, it's quantum energy, quantum science. It's the Akashic field. It's 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 all of those concepts, uh, you know, those those co-creative concepts that are all sort of we can't understand or explain yeah his so his his most famous theory is his synergy theory and that one states that there is a continuous space of energy and the common human can only perceive a part of it right but we've also talked about this with the reticular activating system right that we're Mm -hmm. only it's like a filter it's it's Mm -hmm. only filtering things that are that are important to us. And as we learn about a new thing, like maybe a new word, all of a sudden it like we recognize it and we hear it everywhere. Or you, someone tells you they bought a certain car and like all of a sudden, like there's a car all the time. Right. So that right. yep. it, it all, it all jives. All foundations of manifestation. Yes. And so the result of that process of this like perception is what everyone understands as reality. And this theory tries to answer the question of the creation of the experience. Um, the book in which it's mentioned, it's called The Conscious Brain, El Cerebro Consciente. And this was translated into seven languages. So you, you can get it. It's, I, I would recommend that. So are all of the books that he wrote, um, we'll list the books that he wrote in the show notes. Because I would be really interested in reading all of the different or the book that um, talks about all the different shamans that he um, yeah. visited and interacted with. That would be really interesting. Um, it, it'd be like the movie on Netflix, the last shaman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he has yeah, several volumes. We'll link the website that sells his books. Cause it's, and that's where everything is. Okay. Uh-huh, that's where everything is at. Yeah. So he, he did work with other um, institutions um, one of them being the CIA. Mm-hmm. And we found out about this information. There were some documents that were declassified. I believe it was 2008. I could be wrong about the date. But um, but then the, there was the Gateway documents, which were released just like two years ago. In the Gateway documents, his work is cited. His, you, you, all you have to look for is Jacobo Grimberg Gateway documents, and then it'll pop up. And, and it just presents his theories. So he did some collaboration with the United States government. We don't know what. Mm. We don't exactly. I mean, other than like what's cited in the gateway documents, we don't know to what extent right. exactly he worked with. Okay. And now let's talk about what happened to him. Because as of December 9th, 1994, no one's heard of yeah. him from him there's no trace of what happened to him. Okay. So there's, there's a bunch of speculations as to what could have possibly happened, but his friends and family, one of the main things is that they all agree that is that he would have never voluntarily just left uh, without saying something because of his daughter, especially right. because of his daughter. And he did only have one child, but he wouldn't have done that. Like no. all his friends and family all agree that that's just not who he was as a person. 
that shoots down because there's a bunch of theories. There's a bunch of conspiracy theories and just ideas of, of what could have possibly happened to him. Some people thought that like maybe he was off with like shamans or gurus somewhere, but he wouldn't have done that specifically and not sent a message home and not or not brought his daughter or something. Other than that, everything else is pretty much worthy of consideration. Okay, so let me tell you the story. So December 9th was the last a day after he was last seen. His this is his third wife. Her name was her name is Teresa. Um, and she cashed uh, the day after he was last seen, she cashed a check from his book distributor for a thousand dollars. And then the next day, she told the watchman at their country house in their neighboring state of Morelos not to show up for work, saying that her husband had flown to Guadalajara. And then on December 14th, um, his family had planned a birthday party for him on because remember his birthday is the 12th. They had planned a birthday party, which he had missed. Well, his wife, she told his stepmother that he'd gone to Campeche, which is another place in Mexico, and that they would leave for ne Nepal immediately upon his return. So mm -hmm. kind of just like making up a story like, oh, he's over here, but as soon as he comes back, we're leaving again, which is mm -hmm. kind of a little Right, sus. to just buy some more time. Uh, yeah. Um, and then on December 24th, his wife showed up with a blonde-haired foreign woman at their house in Morelos, and she left with her dog, kitchen utensils, clothes, and a table. And then after that, a watchman at their Mexico City apartment said that Teresa moved out on December 29th, even though their lease didn't expire until March. And this was three weeks after Grinberg was last seen. So about that time, a man showed up with uh, Teresa's dog at her mother's house with a note from Teresa asking her to care for the animal. Hmm. And, you know, at this time, the dog was still there. And then her mother first told police that she hadn't spoken to her daughter in years. But then once they did an investigation, they found that there were phone records showing that the two had repeated contact in late 1994. Hmm. So... They were not being so honest. She, right. It's very suspect. And then. Okay. So, mm -hmm. but, so just to back up a little bit. So is who, why is the mom not being honest? We don't know. It's, it's the, uh, her mom, Teresa's mom, not, not being honest. Oh. Right. There, are they okay. covering up for her? Right. Okay. So that's right. really what I'm trying to get at. Yes. Like, so who is the suspect here? Where is the, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Well, so then the other thing that, that his wife did too, is that she also called his students and said, take care of the lab. You know, he's, he's asking you to take care of the lab while he's gone. He, and that was not normal. It was not normal for, for her him to use his wife to communicate to his students. Right. That's something that right. he would have directly said to mm -hmm. his students. Yeah. And then after that, she was just like, she just disappeared for five months. For five months, nobody knew where the hell she went. And then in May of 1995, she appeared at her aunt's house in Rosarito Beach, which is just like south of TJ. Um, she stayed about two weeks, called her mother on Mother's Day, and then left. And then... No one's heard from her since. <laughs> yeah. Where's the daughter? Uh, well, his daughter is from one of his previous marriage. So mm -hmm. she's, she's an adult now. And she's like, there's, there's a documentary too. And that goes into all this in his disappearance. And his, his daughter is in the documentary. Oh, yeah. Cool. She's a, she's a grown adult woman now. Okay. And supposedly no one's heard of her since. Um, she wasn't really, they didn't consider her, a suspect like the police didn't consider her a suspect although like his family believes like there's there's definitely something there here's the weird kind of kicker part her family all her relatives say that she never mentioned anything about being married to anyone hmm. and when they first when the when the police first showed up with a picture of Afakobo and said, like, you know, do you know, have you seen him? But they had no idea who he was. They had no idea she had a husband. How long had she had they been married? A few years. Oh my God. 
Yeah. It wasn't like they had this. Yeah. It was. It wasn't. What this crazy bitch do? Or was it her? Maybe it was the two of them. They planned an escape. Yeah, I don't know, but that's the thing. It's like that's where his family's like he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't he have just wouldn't left have. his daughter. He wouldn't no. have left his daughter. Okay. No, um, his one of his brothers is actually a famous actor. His Ooh. name is yeah. His name is Adi Telch. He's like a famous Mexican actor. He's like in he's in novelas and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, his, that brother actually said that he found out that Teresa is actually living in the U.S., <laughs> but the police haven't. Okay, without a body and without a crime scene, there's no crime, right? Like, otherwise, it's just a disappearance. And so they don't have a suspect because they don't have a crime. And so even if she is actually living in the U.S., they... They can't, the police can't do anything about it because she's right. technically not a suspect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, spirit always comes through in any mediumship readings. Spirit's like, justice is a human construct. Spirit doesn't give a shit about justice. They really don't, unless it has to do with um, the soul blueprint or a soul contract of the, the living. Then then they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to bust this shit wide open for you. But if it doesn't, yeah. if it's yeah. just... Um, karmic experientialism they don't give a shit so again going back to the fact that he was friends with the president's sister the president did assign a special investigator to his case um uh officer padilla and he went on he was the one like conducting the investigation but they never found anything. And what he says is the overwhelming fact, investigatively speaking, is that he's not here. I don't have a body. I don't have blood. I don't have a trail. I just don't know. And he said from there, it's really a question of if you want to believe the the evidence shows that his wife is on the run, that she might be in the U.S. I presume that there's something illicit behind all this and she knows something about it. Whether he's dead, alive, or kidnapped is another question. Okay, and also, can we just back up for a minute? Because I want to know, what the fuck is up with the table that she took? Of all the things you can take, you take a table? I'm sorry. Why? What what, what was it about that stupid-ass table? Unless something happened. Unless something happened on that table, and and that was evidence that she was taking. Maybe Maybe. she performed psychic surgery on... Oh yeah, because she was not with Guatemala. She was not she qualified. Was not, she was she not was, qualified. You have no qualifying, Teresa. No. Um, all right, so she took the table. She took some silverware. She took kitchen utensils. Mm-hmm. Kitchen. So th- that's the fucking crime scene. That bitch stole the crime scene. I'm telling you. Yeah. Because yeah. why would you take a kitchen utensil in a table? Yeah. Who are mm-hmm. these people that are investigating this? They did a shod- <laughs> that's shoddy investigation. Investigative know. work. <laughs> right. Find that table. Find those kitchen utensils. Find the table. Find the utensils. You found yeah. your killer. So some people believe that she might have been a CIA agent. Oh, well, that makes sense too, right? Right. And that that's why she hadn't told her family because mm-hmm. maybe for her. Did you ever watch Alias? Cover. Yes, yeah, it was deep cover. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, why am I going to tell my family? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm working a case. Yeah, and also the know. Americans. That's another one. That, yes. Um, yeah, that that showed you know people in deep cover. So yeah. yeah. Oh, it's intrigue, intrigue. I love it. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah all right. So I'm just going to tell you psychically. Um, I um, Teresa had something to do with this. So, something to do with it. She knows more, oh. and that's why she's on the run. And she's for sure not being found. She's also being protected. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So. By the time he disappeared in 1994, Jacobo had already written 55 books. 55 books? That's insane. 55 books, yeah. And a lot of them were, you know, scientific theory-based books and about everything we've talked about now. But he also wrote fiction books, science fiction books oh, as he? well. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jacobo. I like his name, Jacobo. Yeah. And if he is alive today, he would be 76 years old. That's a good story. Very good. Yeah. It's True crime woo. I love it. <laughs> True crime woo. Mm-hmm. We need more sure. of these. Um, teaser, teaser. We need more of these true crime woo woo 
stories. Right. Let's find them. Let's go mm -hmm. find them. Yeah. Oh, last thing I wanted to add. His one of his other brothers, um, David Grinberg, he continues to teach people about um, interconnection practices based off of Jacobo's synergy theory. And I actually found him. Yeah, interconnection. So I actually I found him. It's all in Spanish, so but I did find him on Instagram. So he is around yeah. David Grinberg. Yes. All right. Is he, is he, did you follow him on, um, the I did. Oh, I don't know. I followed him on my personal one. Yeah. But I will. All right. Yeah. I'll follow him so I can check it out. I won't be able, because they, they provide that little translation button. Oh yeah. Which, um, yeah. Is often very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, speaking of, I, um, follow this group. I think I told you about this on Facebook, uh, Mexicans who hate uh, Mexicans who hate food or something like that, but it's really <laughs> Mexicans who make really bad fucking Mexican dishes. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh it is so fucking hilarious. And oh. they will roast each other within their communities <laughs> and their cultures. And they're like, no, you're not a real Mexican. What the fuck would you? Anyway, it's mostly in Spanish. And so that little translation oh. button is so wonderful because you'll see something. I'm like, I know there's got to, somebody has to say something. I'm going to have to look that up. I'll send you the link. It's really, okay. it's, it's really funny. The stuff that's on there. It's like, oh, I, I for some reason, like culinary shaming, I'm here yes. for that. <laughs> oh, there's another one. I belong to this one. It's called um, Reasons I Don't Do Potlucks or something like that. Oh. I'll put all these together. I'll, I'll put all these in the in the show notes. Um, in this one, it goes through phases because I've been with it for about a year now. Yeah. And it goes through phases. It started out as shaming people. Um, the backgrounds of their houses for people. And, and that's oh, why people don't uh -huh. do yes. potlucks. Cause like the whole premise of this group is I'm not going to eat potluck food because people fucking cook their shit in nasty environments. So that's really the premise of it, but they go through phases. Like they just recently came off of fly eggs. Um, uh, and it was just weeks of nothing but fly eggs. And they're the most uh, disgusting no. vomit inducing thing I've ever seen. So they're back to just, just, just badly cooked Gross. people that cook food. And it's really funny because a lot of, um, what in the unseasoned caucasity is this? <laughs> I and know. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> yes. So it's a good one. I'll put the, um, I'll put those. Um, in the link so we can all enjoy these crazy food pages. Cool. All right. Shaming. Uh, you got something for the closing vibe today? Um, I do. But first, thank you very much for oh, um, continuing the story of um, Pachita yeah. and Jacobo and, um, you know, um, even Maria Sabina. So Yeah. And even she made a cameo in this I one. Know, right. <laughs> Good stuff. Today, I want to talk about um, those tingling sensations that you get um, and how to recognize them as our messages from spirit or a guide from spirit or when mm. spirit's trying to communicate with you. So mm -hmm. um, if you feel those in your body, um, if you're starting to feel those more and more, that's your spirit guides, guardians, angels, higher self trying to connect with you. Mm. So basically when you do intuitive development or you, your intuitive senses start to grow, it's going to cause our vibrational frequency to rise. Okay. And so since our bodies are made of energy, um, they, when that spiritual development starts to take place, we begin to vibrate at that much higher frequency. And mm -hmm. so as a result, it's a lot easier to connect with spirit. That's why yeah. when people are super sad, I tell people, if you're super sad, you've just experienced the loss of a loved one and you're like, why can't I get a message? Right? People want messages right away. Yes. You're not yes. going to get a message because you're vibrating at a very low vibrational frequency. Well, spirit, it's very difficult for them to lower their vibe mm -hmm. in order to get through to you. So- okay. It's, it's, you know, it's just not a good time to try to reach that loved one. Give it several months okay. until you've gone through the grieving process. Anyway, so once this starts to happen, once you start to get those tinglings and those sensations and then those weird consistent things, um, once that happens, it, that's when we are more easily able to tap into that. All right. Mm -hmm. So start to listen to your body or feel your body for tingles, heat, you know, all those sorts of things. Do, where do you feel sensations in your body? On my f head, like on my neck or but just somewhere like head wise, like on yeah. one side of my And then what happens? Something. 
it just feels like it feels like a like um it feels like a breeze is what it feels like it feels like someone's like blowing like air like right into like that part of my head or my face or whatever and it's kind of like it, and it's usually more of a um confirmation like if i just yeah. said something and it just like yeah. happens and it's like yes that's correct yes <laughs> and that's typically what it is i get tingles in my legs and um you know that's pretty mm-hmm. much common knowledge if people work with me that it's my legs or my thighs it's one leg for you're kind of on the right track or you're on yeah. the right track keep going or two legs for confirmation validation yeah um i also get a slightly unpleasant feeling of anxiety in my solar plexus when my guides are telling me stop pay attention no this isn't the right road to go down i just um, sort of had a mini like, God damn it. Well, I'm yesterday with them because I'm trying to write um, the course for tomorrow's class. It's like sister, the workshop for empaths. I'm rewriting the content and I was trying to rewrite this certain section and I just kept feeling anxiety. And what that makes me feel is I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm bored. This is boring. I don't want to do this. Uh-huh. That's not what it is, but it's spirit saying, no, uh-uh. get rid of that section. So uh... anyway. It's also common to feel tingling at the top of our crown chakra like you um, because it's the primary energy center where we use that to connect with spirit. And that's where we receive, you know, the guidance and all that stuff. So um, if that happens, when your crown tingles, think of it as a spirit, uh, as a signal to open up to receive guidance. So basically, if your crown starts tingling, take a minute and just quiet and listen and say, okay, I'm opening up to receive more. Tell me more. Show me more. Yeah. yeah. Help me to feel more. You might also experience tingling in your third eye chakra, um, in your throat chakra, Mm -hmm. in your heart chakra, and also people experience it in their hands or their their hands will get hot um, Uh. when there's energy or they're around people that need healing, you know, so it's kind of like set the intention to send energy out. Yeah. Yep. Reiki. Um, I've had everybody, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not everybody who has learned Reiki f- or you don't need to have learned Reiki to feel that heat in your hand. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah for sure. Natural healers feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I um, learned it from a book when I was like 12. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Rightly. People are going to learn it in the yeah. way that they're going to learn it. Yeah. Um, now I don't often feel tingling in my third eye, but there are others that feel it quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so when this energy center is active, it can be a call to receive and sort of perceive information. Um, you know, again, you just sort of quiet, close your eyes. If that helps, focus and then let those clairvoyant images come to you. Um, the thing is that the third eye is our psychic and intuitive energy center, and we can tap into this power, you know, to help with that clairvoyance and yeah. see things and all that good stuff. Um, tingling in your throat chakra, or some people will get a tightening in their throat chakra. Um, It's likely a call from spirit to speak your truth, speak up. Um, And a lot of empaths have trouble speaking their mind um, or setting like strong boundaries. So that's very common, mostly Mm -hmm. with the restriction. Um, I know when I'm reading people, if, if they have problems speaking up or spirit is saying that they need to learn to speak up and stand in their truth, then my throat will start um, feeling itchy, like <clears throat> clearing it a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's see if the heart center, your heart chakra, um, that's again, often referred to as the heart center. If you feel tingling in this area, it's sort of a message to open up your heart, maybe with compassion or love or perspective or something like that. Yeah. Um, I never feel it in my heart center and I would be interested in hearing from people that do like, what does that feel like? Yeah. Yeah. I know some people feel it in the back and then they say that it feels like wings are fluttering. Oh, that's cool. They have wings. Isn't that cool? (laughs) That's very cool. Sometimes I'm like, why can't I? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, for the hands, the the centers of, okay, so our our hands contain energy centers. They contain chakras. They're one Mm -hmm. of the, you know, the lesser known chakras. Yeah. Um, And that is what enables us to receive and send healing energy, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so a lot of healers and energy workers will often feel that tingling and heat in their hands. Um, so 
um, it's just a sign to release excess energy. And you can do that. If there's nothing you can do, you can mentally sort of send that energy out to whoever needs it. You can also just shake your hands and that will help um, sort of help that energy flow, but also you can place them on the earth or you can place them in running water. If that, if, you know, if they're uncomfortable, but it's, yeah. I don't think it's typically uncomfortable. I think it's just, you know, the, it's the just energy it's different. needs a place to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this is the other cool one. Um, tingling in the ears and across the shoulders. A lot of people get that again. That's um, mm. ears, shoulders, wings, um, that, that's a sign from spirit to open up. Um, it's really common for channels to get that. No. Um, and it's a message, um, also, um, from guide spirits that, you know, there's something they need to sit down, they need to listen to because, you know, their spirit guides have something to say. So, mm. Um, yeah, those tinglings are, those tingles are, they're, they're, they're serious and they're legit. They're cool as hell. Not everybody feels them. So if you feel them, consider yourself, um, I won't say fortunate, just, you know, that um, consider yourself as having a really cool, um, ability. Yeah. Um, acknowledge the sensation, thank your spirit guides, um, learn to discern what they're telling you and all that good stuff. So, um, and embrace it too. It's a really cool thing. And so the longer you nurture it, like any relationship, um, you'll start to really feel that personality of your guide coming through if it's one guide or if it's a ton of them. So good stuff. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. All right, everyone. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. We're at Esoterics Podcast. Actually, on all the socials under Esoterics Podcast. You can find me, Fiorelise, at Fiorelise underscore. And you can find Joe at Joe Figures underscore Akashic underscore reader and Joe Figures underscore studio. Also, all on Instagram. And don't forget to join the esoterics community so you can and this is on facebook so you can hear firsthand about our services events and courses as well as woo friendly resources energy updates group only pricing and occasional card pulls and freebies yeah there's all sorts of stuff going on in there yep memes (laughs) memes memes um you know you can also get some support and information developing your own spiritual intuitive practices that's uh, really important um so you know basically thank you thank you so much for inviting us into your life um as always stay mystical magical and ready to do it again the next time we sit down and have a chat yes bye bye